When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. The All-Star Game is done, basketball is thankfully back and with the Bulls playing two games since the return, we're moving closer towards the end of the season which is fantastic news if you're like me and maybe just like the Bulls' tanking efforts, you're losing a bit of steam and momentum here towards the back end of the season. We're kind of wishing the season would be over and uh, we're getting closer to that but In terms of the tank itself, all hope hasn't been lost just yet. Since the return, the Bulls have clocked up two straight losses. Uh, The first of those losses being to the Philadelphia 76ers, losing by one point in hilariously epic fashion, leading by five points with about 30 seconds to go then, and still finding a way to come up with the loss, which is clutch, clutch tanking performance there from the Chicago Bulls. But um, the other loss there, of course, being on Saturday night as well outclassed by the Minnesota Timberwolves by 18 points. One day after former Bull Jimmy Butler went down with an unfortunate knee injury. So what I plan on talking about today on the podcast is reviewing the Minnesota Timberwolves game itself. Probably won't talk too much sixes, but um, I also wanted to talk just Wolves in general because there obviously is a lot of connections there between the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And given Jimmy Butler going down with that significant knee injury, I thought it would be a good opportunity to maybe get a Wolves fan perspective on not only Jimmy Butler's injury, but just in general, his impact, what he's meant for the Minnesota Timberwolves this season, how he's sort of changed the culture there in Minnesota and the off-court effects that Jimmy Butler has had. And we'll also hit on probably Tibbs and I guess the blame that is sort of going around at the moment on this Butler injury potentially being linked to, I guess, Thibodeau's use of Butler and the heavy minutes that he does apply to his players. So I've got a bit of a rant that I want to get off my chest on that one, as well as discussing this Wolves game. So in order to to go through this game today, as well as all that other topics, I've got Patrick Fenland, co-host of the Land of 10,000 Takes podcast, joining me today. Patrick, thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, good to be here. We just got done watching the Bulls and the Wolves, who 
I just didn't realize that until then. That kind of rhymes. But um, we got uh, we got done watching them play their second game of this season. The Wolves winning in the end comfortably by 18 points, 122 to 104. But in a lot of ways, it wasn't necessarily the the game that we were concerned about. Uh, at least for me, I'm probably sure you feel the same as well, given what happened yesterday to Jimmy Butler. But the Wolves did get a good win here post the Jimmy Butler injury. So. Just generally, how how are you feeling after the uh, after the unfortunate news that came through after Jimmy Butler hurt his knee yesterday against the Houston Rockets? Um, better, but I still might have issues. I need to talk out with the therapist after <laughs> thinking that uh, he might have a torn ACL. That yeah. terrified me. Well, <laughs> hopefully, this podcast can um, help you out a little bit in that front. <laughs> uh, it was bad when he, he like he looked uh, he, well he looked at the uh the camera and said it's torn yeah yeah uh, it's there and he meant his meniscus if you want my two senses i think he knew exactly what was going on with his meniscus he's not stupid he knows his body he felt it like that that's what was happening and yeah um i thought it was something very different than that and yeah but yeah i was um very nervous yesterday until uh, David Aldridge tweeted out that uh, the Timberwolves are – sorry, Jimmy Butler's camp is very optimistic it's not an ACL tear. And then that was an hallelujah moment because uh, the Tim, because the Timberwolves have the best training staff in the NBA, thank fucking God. It would have been tough at the time to see him go down, but it's, it probably has been a good 24-hour period, I guess, in terms of the news that came out. Butler's camp, as you mentioned, were pretty positive. The, the reports were sort of starting to surface that it probably wasn't going to be an ACL, and that was confirmed as much today with the um, the confirmation that he had torn his meniscus, which still isn't great, but it's obviously not the worst-case scenario, which is good. And the Wolves probably bounced back as well as you could have hoped, I guess, given the given the news that sort of happened. They were on a back-to-back, unfortunately, as well. So not not a good part of the schedule there to, to sort of have this go down, even if they were facing the lowly Bulls. But... Coming back 24 hours later, getting news about Butler and then coming out and beating the Bulls and, and winning pretty well there, 122 to 104. Given where you were uh, probably 24, 48 hours beforehand, it's probably the best case scenario that you sort of could have hoped for with Butler, but as well as the Wolves, how they played afterwards. I mean, yeah, it was the best case. I mean, I was hoping like uh, somehow let this be a grade one MCL where he's back in a week, please. Yeah. God, or, well, what I jokingly said on Twitter was like, what if Jimmy Butler is screwing with everyone? It's like a Paul Pierce wheelchair situation. <laughs> and he's just getting wheeled off to the locker room just to come back against the Bulls in a triumphant fashion the next day. Like, oh, no, my knee's fine. Uh, he would totally which, do that, too. <laughs> I know he might actually do that. That's the thing. <laughs> he's such a goofy guy. And, I, oh, my God, I adore him. He is <laughs> the best. He's so awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, his – it's really hard to describe his personality. It's not a normal coolness of an NBA. It's a it's a genuine weirdness, and it it I, well I could go off on tangents about this, but it's brought it's brought out about like whenever he's interviewed, you see guys interact like interact with him in the background as if you know. Usually, you see guys like Carl Anthony Towns who are very guarded with the media. All of a sudden, they'll just like just start riffing with him just in the background because Jimmy Butler's talking. It's hilarious. He's the best. But yeah, I was very nervous about it yesterday and uh, it would have been a literally a season and a half injury long. And turns out like it's, 
it'll be over. it'll kind of be over if you want to get into the details of what the operation will probably be but yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk the butler injury a little bit later on but let's focus on the game maybe for 10 minutes here because I guess the first half was entertaining, but maybe not necessarily the second half, or at least the last quarter if you're a Bulls fan. For the Wolves, probably a little different story. Um, but the game itself, this one was an interesting one as well, for me at least, for the first half, because we saw uh, Chris Dunn and Zach Levine return to Minnesota for the first time. How did you feel about these guys sort of coming back? And uh, look, me being online, knowing how Wolves fans felt particularly about Zach Levine. Oh, I adore Zach Levine. He is um, and, and, a lot, and a lot of Wolves fans sort of share that sentiment as well. So how, how did you sort of feel seeing those guys back? Um, you know how Blazers fans feel about Damian Lillard and yeah. just sort of his confidence when he's just going to step back and take a three? That's how I feel about Zach Levine. Like he'll take a game into his own hands, has no fear whatsoever. And he's good in that situation. He's also – he's a train wreck in certain other aspects of his game, and I hope it, all of that gets better because he's awesome to watch at basketball. Um, but you know, like anything off ball, he's just not that good at Mm. man. But my God, he is, um, the like, he's kind of the anti Wiggins in terms of personality. He's just this super confident dude that will just not scared of a big moment and will all will show up 100% every game. Um, not in the Jimmy Butler way, but sort of in a, uh, kind of hard to describe even like it, it, it's, it's just pure swagger and I love it. Just tons of fond memories of him. He was Flip Saunders' like prized pick like that year. I know Flip Saunders promised he'd draft him before he drafted him, and he picked him higher than a, than a lot of people went uh, thought he would go. And a lot of people were very wary about him, especially Minnesota. And it turned out really well. We were really attached to him. It yeah, it really sucked to see him go. Like the trade was a no brainer at the time, but. Holy crap! That it sucked. I, I could imagine so, and and we're sort of seeing his personality come out here in Chicago. Obviously, it's a little bit different now that he gets to be, I guess, the face of the franchise, which maybe wasn't necessarily the case in Minnesota. But he, like you say, he does have that uh, that personality aspect. It's quite, it's not quite like Jimmy Butler, but you can sort of see that he has, I guess the, I guess the personal qualities to be a star. I'm not sure if his uh, his game will necessarily f- reflect that, but. If his game can catch up to his profile, I guess, he can definitely be that. But uh, I thought he was really good today in this Wolves game. It, it always helps if you give out puppies during games. That really does <laughs> That's help. true. That is that is very true. That definitely helps you in that front. But um, look, for, for me, watching him today, I thought, at least in the first half, at least, when it was competitive, that was oh, probably he, his him and best Wiggins game. Were going at it. It was awesome. Those two, and those two are were like best friends here. And it, okay. Uh, like no seriously bet like inseparable best friends wow okay um went out everywhere did everything together yeah um the guy that hung out with him a lot weirdly uh do you remember lorenzo brown yeah 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 like that was the other guy that hung out with him when he was still on the team that like uh i remember the rookie year but and those two uh, those three always hung out together a lot but like those two but specifically wayne's and levine were just Really, they're, yeah, they're just really tight. They were just going at it like, you know, you see, I guess, like, I guess, like, former teammates always go like go at it, whether it's on the Olympics or, I guess, within the NBA. And they just really went at each other because they wanted to prove something. And it was really cool to watch. There was no bad blood. It was just good sportsmanship. I mean, it's, you know, it's why we watch sports. Yeah, definitely. And 
I look, Zach Levine, I thought, had his best or most complete half of basketball as a Chicago Bull. I think he had 15 points, uh, five assists, and four rebounds in the first half. Yeah, he was passing the shit out of that thing. Yeah, like, he, he looked... Re- like, that. I was really impressed by that. Oh, for sure. For, as a facilitator, that's been probably my biggest question of him since he's come over Correct. to Chicago. And he looked he looked incredible, particularly in pick and roll. And I, I want to ask you something shortly about, about Zach Levine as a facilitator. But coming back to Wiggins, he was also great as well. And I, I do wonder if it almost takes something emotional like that to to get the best of Andrew Wiggins out of this game but the the first game after the injury Wiggins was pretty pretty awesome really yeah um I mean like you look at Andrew Wiggins when it comes to stuff like oh every time he plays against the Cleveland Cavaliers (laughs) yeah or against the Toronto Raptors you know he shows up and he's good on both ends and he's just super efficient and I mean he's He's probably he's more athletic than Zach Levine, which is insane to think about. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like it, it, he's just kind of an enigma, and it's it's very frustrating. Hopefully, we get to see playoff Wiggins this year. That that would be very cool to see because he'll show up for four games in a row, at least. <laughs> you would hope so, but he. I mean, <laughs> ten po- uh, twenty three points today, ten of eighteen from the field. Like you said, very efficient game. Didn't do a ton in terms of the rebounding in the assist department, but I mean, he did look I, just from a body language perspective, he looked very outward and um, more confident, and probably was because he was going against Levine. But like you said, it was fun to watch those two guys in the first half. And what I noticed about Zach Levine in that first half as a facilitator was how good he or how comfortable he looked, sort of operating in the pick and roll and finding that role man and. In, in this case, it was Cristiano Felicio. Yeah, he never did that in Minnesota, and I was really impressed with him tonight. That That's actually a unique step to see. So that's what, that's what I wanted to ask you about his, I guess, his playmaking in Minnesota just generally, but I, I guess with that, you know, running in pick and roll and, and using that role, man, did he have a connection with guys like Carl Towns and, and Gorgie Jeng at all? And because he looked really comfortable tonight sort of making that pocket pass into that rolling big and, and getting them some easy looks. He had some chemistry with Carl Towns. Um, no one has great chemistry with Gorgie Jen because he has just like big uh, logs, like big pieces of lumber for hands. <laughs> I call I call him butter jengers. I like seriously. He, uh, he has terrible hands, and it just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but the other aspect was as much you know. I have a Ricky Rubio avatar, and the other like when you have a guy that's that good as a passer. There's this tendency, sort of, to let him do the be the maestro for the whole offense. Yeah. And so, whether or not he was capable of it, well, he like in his first year, he certainly was not capable of it. Last year, I he probably was not until maybe the very end of the year. Um, but um, he would never have gotten an opportunity to really display it as long as he's playing alongside of you know Rubio, who I still think is probably one of the three best passers in the NBA. I mean, which it's not really, that's not a hot take. He's absolutely, absolutely outstanding, especially with big men, because he was so good at feed, at feeding them uh, entry passes sort of at a, at like a level that was just kind of impossible to intercept. If you're a, uh, if you're guarding him, which, which yeah, I could digress into how, Jeff Teague sucks at that, but <laughs> I've got a Jeff question, uh, Jeff Teague question lined up for you because I know how you feel about him. But uh... no, no, he was great tonight. That's yeah. the thing; he's been great the last few nights. And I'm like, well, that's what I wanted to talk about with Jeff Teague because 
I mean, he he was really good in in, in absence of Butler. Twenty five point seven rebounds, seven he was assists. Super impressive, and he was everything I wanted him to be. And, and no Bulls point guard, even even Chris Dunn, really couldn't stay in front of him. No, no. Uh, and Chris Dunn's Chris Dunn's a great defender. Yeah. Uh, um, that's the thing I always said about him. I had. Um, oh, here's a question I have for you. Uh, how's Chris Dunn at the rim? I haven't watched enough of the Bulls this year. That was the big thing I always had with him is that he really struggled with NBA rim protection last year. Like guys would just like, and I mean D league caliber guys would just come out and just destroy him. Yeah. Uh, he really adjusted in that because he seems a lot more confident driving this year. He's definitely more confident. Um, certainly more confident driving the ball, putting the ball on the floor. And I guess that, given the fact that there was no Levine and, and I guess he probably was more established than Larry Marketing in terms of being that perimeter threat, uh, at least from a, a coaching perspective, Fred Hoiberg was making uh, Chris Dunn his closer, so to speak. So he had that confidence midway through the season or, or maybe through December, January, where he was very confident in putting the ball on the floor and trying to get to the rim. Certainly wasn't efficient, but definitely was more so than last season. But, I mean, we saw today he blew a, uh, a wide-open dunk today, so it's still uh, a work in progress. And yeah, he's, um, yeah he's, a bundle of, he's a bundle of athleticism, and you just like, and then all of a sudden I'll just be like, so, wait, why didn't the ball go in the hoop there, Chris? <laughs> what, what was that? Exactly. <laughs> and look, I don't like the fact that they're developing him as a mid-range shooter, but... If I'm being honest, that's probably where I feel most confident about him, or you know, in terms of a shot profile. That's where I'm most confident in him taking a shot when he's driving to the hoop. It could be anything. It could be a, a wild miss. It could be a dunk. It could be a, a blown layup. But I think his mid-range shot has been better, and it's probably the most confident I am in him in, in terms of his offense. But to answer your question, I think he's, uh, he's finishing at the rim definitely needs a lot of work, particularly if he's going to maintain being that driving sort of point guard. So Here's the thing. like I, What I always said last year is like, you know, like, I, I questioned whether or not he was a point guard last year because he has the size to be a two guard. He yep. legitimately does. I, I, you know, what I wanted him to see, what I wanted to see more of him, and I saw tonight was he was hitting some corner threes, which I really liked. I don't think Zach Levine's a point guard either, but like, uh, you know, uh, hopefully Chris Dunn develops as a facilitator because he, um, well, not so much a facilitator, just stops doing stupid turnover stuff. Yeah, because that's really frustrating. <laughs> um, but uh, well, I mean, it's it's ironic because he has been really, or well, he's been much better in terms of his decision making this season. He probably had a typical Chris Dunn game in terms of the bad version of Chris Dunn tonight against the Wolves with the, uh, I think it was the ten points there on the twelve shots and. F- Four turnovers, five fouls, not 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 good shooting, yeah. not good playmaking, only two assists. So he had like I guess the <laughs> early version of Chris Dunn of that we saw in Chicago. But he, you know, again December and January, he really came along in terms oh, of no, the playmaker. He was very very good there, and I think you know I guess I I look at that as sort of you know you develop in peaks and valleys rather you know mostly and. You know he's probably just slumping after that, and he'll be bet. He'll probably have a higher peak after this. I'm sure he will. Uh, um, it, it's just very interesting to see what he'll end up being. You know, I still, as critical as I was of him last year, I was like, you know, this guy's still one of the best defenders on the team, and he's a rookie. That's insane. Yeah. Like absolutely insane. How good a defender he was. If this guy ends up, if this guy can hit some corner threes, he's got some like small man Bruce Bowen potential in him like he's that good like he's 
really that good. Uh, I like him a lot. We've just gone through a period here where where he was obviously out after he sort of head planted into the floor there, but um, a few weeks back, and it was noticeable how much how much of an impact he has on this team, and and I guess that speaks more to the Bulls as backups than maybe it does Chris Dunn, but. When he was out, this team could not do anything in terms of creation at all when they had Jerry and Grant playing point guard. Probably would have been the same with Cameron Payne. But, I mean, his his impact was noticeable. So he doesn't necessarily have to be that big-time scorer for him to be an impactful player. If he can just, like you said, develop the corner three, maybe a couple of, of, of other types of shots. But he was um, pretty bad in this game against the Wolves. He's, he's returned to, to Minnesota, which was unfortunate for him. He didn't have quite the performance that Levine did. But I've talked my point guard. Let's talk your point guard. How, how did you feel about Jeff Teague tonight? No, he was great tonight. And I, I've been way more critical of him than I, have sh- than I should have been this entire year. He does little things that piss me off, and I don't like watching him play basketball. It's really hard to adjust. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Like... He's not a good entry passer, which is insane to me that like an NBA point guard is a bad entry passer, but he's like exceptionally bad at it. I, I like there's one to two turnovers a night on an entry pass. It, it's just like how how do you do that? <laughs> uh, and it's not because it, like he's passing it to Jang. It's because like it's like Towns has position and you just decided to pass it to the wrong hand. What the hell were you doing? Yeah. Yes, it just has like inexplicable moments where it's just like, yeah, it's just a lot of he's just a very frustrating player to watch. Also, when he's aggressive, he's really freaking good. Yeah, which he was uh, tonight. Really, really good. Uh, he's a good he's a great shooter. Uh, he can get get to the rim is a weird expression because he just he doesn't really get to the rim as much as he puts up a floater. Yeah. For yeah. reason at all times. But he's also but he's really good at it. And it's like. I, I guess that's great. Cool. Um, the like the biggest problem with him was that like the team was the best team in basketball when Jeff Teague was out and Tyus Jones was playing in its way instead of him, who I think just does a lot of uh, does a lot of things that makes the team better. Though with Jimmy Butler out, that's probably not the case anymore. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Jeff Teague slightly just watching from afar as well. And and the reason why I say that is obviously you guys last season had Ricky Rubio, who was definitely a, fav- a fan favorite. And now you've got also Tyus Jones off the bench, who, like you said, was part of a really good unit there, a five-man unit that He's made the He's from loss. here too, and it, it just yeah. sucks for Teague. Like, it you does. Can't, and, like, and here's the like, thing is the metrics even back up that the unit was like better with T with uh, Tyus. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. a lot better. <laughs> it, it, it just sucks. Um, yeah. I think that was largely a function of just fit and Tyus made up for a lot of um, what's it? Jimmy Butler's issues where he'll bring the ball up really slowly um, late in games yeah. where Tyus will often just cut around Jimmy Butler, grab the ball, and take the ball up court in pace so they have more time in the shot clock to get stuff done. It's really a lot of little things like that that he'll do. He, like, never turns the ball over. He's amazing in the pick and roll. He just, Like, he's outstanding in the pick and roll. Jimmy absolutely loves the guy. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it was a cool dynamic. But, yeah, uh, as, long, it, as long as Jimmy Butler's out, I think Jeff Teague is going, going to need to be in that scoring role no matter what, mm-hmm. which is what it is. So, 
I'm happy for him that he's being aggressive and he's more comfortable with what he's doing. Uh, in terms of a long-term fit, if someone, I, I, I don't think it's going to work out very well, but that that's fine. That's fine. Like the whole goal this year was to get to the playoffs and get young guys playoff experience. That was the whole goal. Yeah. So it's fine. So, so talk to me about one of these young guys. I'm talking about Carl Towns. And for me, looking at this game and just looking at the stats and these sorts of things and watching the game, it's unfolding. How does he only get seven shots in the first half without Jimmy Butler playing in a game? How does that happen? Well, he took a bunch of threes. Like, like there were, I believe he took, he was 0 for 5 and th- uh, from three in this game. Uh, yeah, I would like him to get more looks on the block too. Uh, well, with Jimmy Butler out especially, I would like him to get more looks on the block. With Jimmy Butler in, him shooting lots of threes and being a secondary option is actually just fine with me. The team with Jim, well, the Wolves have the third best offense in the NBA, which is bizarre to say because they play so ugly. <laughs> no, it's it baffles a lot of people when I tell them that. Um, but yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Um, he was in foul trouble at, at a certain point. Um, but yeah, he should get more shots. He's one of the. Um, I think he's so efficient that his co that Tibbs will often. Um, try to get guys into a groove and just expect Towns to just be efficient by default, which is a weird thing to do, but it's also bizarre like, because he'll need to get like to win games. You, he, he's going to need either Wiggins or Jimmy Butler to get into a groove of scoring and to be confident in that, which is fine, but it doesn't, it's not the greatest fit with Carl Towns who should be putting up Anthony Davis numbers every night. Yeah. That said, they're having way better success than Anthony Davis was having even with Boogie Cousins on the team. So I don't know how to judge this. I really don't. It's very strange. It is, but I mean, he finished the game with 22 points and 13 rebounds, so he had much better second half. Um, he definitely sort of uh, was was much better there in the third and fourth quarter, and he, he looked more dominant there. But uh, look, from um, from one big man to another, not, I'm not referring to us here, <laughs> but um, from Carl Towns to Larry Markkinen is who I'm referring to. I'd get, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, on Larry Markkinen from an outsider's perspective. He was ineffective in this game. He wasn't good at all. No, I love, I love that, I love the kid. And um, I had the first inkling I was wrong during uh, FIBA play when he was playing for Finland this uh, this summer. Yeah. Um, Usually he's the kind of the archetype of players that I really fetishize, like which is very strange, like because I you know I want stretch fours on on this Wolves team always and often, but just in general I think that those guys um, are unfairly uh, just get underutilized within the entire league. Also, it's sort of a confirmation bias because of how right I was about Chris Tapps Porzingis, <laughs> and like being yeah I'm just like this kid is a fucking killer. Are you ki- are you kidding me? He's playing NBA sets uh, in, you know, the second best league in the, in the entire world. What are you talking? Anyways, I digress, but like uh, I didn't see any of that with Markkinen cause he went through the college route and I'm just like, mm, this, none, none of this is really impressive to me. Like what he's doing. And then suddenly he, pl- he plays for Finland. I'm like, Oh no, he's actually really freaking good at this. And the wolves would have drafted him if uh, the, the Jimmy Butler trade didn't get off. And uh, I used to think like, uh, they were just signaling that because uh, they wanted to sound good. I'm like, no, no, that's actually what they wanted to do, actually, because that's the smart thing to do. 
because he's really good. <laughs> he's really, really good. I don't know if he's all-star good, but he's really freaking good. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, uh, amongst Bulls fans, we definitely think, obviously, he's all-star bound. <laughs> obviously, we're uh, no, that's fine. somewhat you biased about like, that. I forget who it was. Um, he's an analytics blogger. He's just and He just looks at like, listen, I love prospects so much, but once they're rookies, I hate them. And that's kind of how I look at it right now. Because, <laughs> because like, mm, you're a rookie. You're not good yet. And show me something. And But yeah, no, I think he could be that good. There's nothing standing in the way of him doing, being that good. I agree. And it's always interesting to get an outsider's perspective on Markinen. But uh, look, let's. Oh, the only other question I wanted to talk to ask you about the game itself was Thibodeau's rotation. And um, obviously, it's a point of contention, not just for Wolves fans. It's something us Bulls fans have sort of had to deal with in the past there as well. But he only went to an eight-man rotation which I guess is somewhat justifiable given that you had Jimmy Butler out, but he went to an eight-man rotation um, until the very last minute where he sort of brought in uh, the bench warmers there. He had to wait until the last minute despite being up 20. But um, is, does he have really any other options, though? I guess is my yes, point. MGH. Uh, is it Marcus Georges Hunt? I think that's his name, first name. Yeah, Georges Hunt is a very good player, and I generally prefer him playing in front of Jamal Crawford. He's a good defender. He's a good defender, and unlike Jamal Crawford, he's a good defender. <laughs> um, he can hit an open three. He do, He just isn't prone to the massive swings that Jamal Crawford is on a, on a bench unit, which is not – like I just want my bench unit to be stable and like seed like four points as opposed to being like generally seeding eight points but sometimes gaining four points. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. And I mean, we saw it today, though. Jamal Crawford, we got the good Jamal Crawford. My new theory about Jamal Crawford is that he only plays well when I bitch about him on Twitter. That's my new theory. Uh, because I was just like, why is, why is he in? Oh, now he just hit six threes. That's great. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, he demolished the Bulls in the fourth quarter there. I think he had 12 points in the fourth. So and That wasn't even a tanking thing. He just, that was before that. He was just hitting everything. Yeah. Um. He's a great player, and I really adore him. Like I really like him as a person and as a – he's a basketball nerd like we are, apparently. Like him and J.J. Redick are apparently are going – like when they're with the Clippers, would be like looking up basketball reference stats together on the team bus. Like they're like – he's like us, and I really like him, and I want him to be good. He's also 900 years old. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the guard version of Zebo, where he'll always be able to get his shot off. But like at a certain point, you're like, well, what's that worth at this point? <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel about him. You know, I wish he was with the Wolves when Zach Levine was here. I will say that. Okay. Because I know those two are really close. Uh, both of them grew up in Seattle together. I think it's the Seattle Pro-Am is what I think it is, where Jamal Crawford will just basically MC the dunk contest. I have a lot of warm feelings towards Jamal Crawford, but yeah, like he's very frustrating at this stage. Also, whenever I say anything about it, he's amazing. So I'll shut. No, I won't shut up. No, that's the. I won't shut up. That's what I'll do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep telling him he's bad and he'll be good. Yeah, but, um, he was very good. Jamal, show me I'm wrong. <laughs> but he was, he was very good today, and he, and he killed the Bulls. Look, that's all I wanted to talk about this game itself, because as I mentioned before, it wasn't a great one after the, the second half. And 
given that the Bulls are tanking, there's probably not a lot of Bulls fans who are interested in uh, actual game analysis anyway. They just probably want to get through the season. But what I wanted to talk to you about now is more, I guess, the Wolves itself. I always like to get, um, I guess, the perspective of other teams on this podcast whenever I can. And given that there's so many, I guess, connections between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Chicago Bulls, and in this case, Jimmy Butler, I wanted to talk his injury just generally, we sort of touched on it, but I want to talk on it or focus on it a little bit more. But I guess my my first question to you would be, uh, what are you hoping he does here in terms of fixing up that knee, in terms of, I guess, re- rehabilitating himself? Would you prepare or would you be prepared to see him go for the snipping option and, and take a little bit out of the meniscus there and maybe make it a four to six week injury? Or are you fully that's what he's on doing, board? Supposedly. Like, yeah. That's the- He's getting a second opinion, but uh, yeah. Well, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think the repairing of the, of the meniscus is a better option? That would be a three six month injury, so that would probably cost him his season. But I mean, and the playoffs and the playoffs definitely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, from a Wolves fans' perspective, knowing what you wanted to achieve this season, but also looking ahead, how how do you feel about what he may or may not do here? I don't know enough about the specifics of what needs to get removed with with his meniscus. Uh, I don't know. Like, it would really suck to see him at age 33 look like Dwayne Wade at age 33 where he's just in constant pain. That said, Dwayne Wade. Uh, how old is Dwayne Wade now? Uh, Dwayne Wade will be about 36, I think. Yeah, Dwayne Wade was still pretty damn good at age 33. So I don't know if it cuts his career short, but it would suck to see him in that much pain. It's it's very weird how that injury works. Where performance wise, I don't I think it's overstated how much it cuts into it unless you're a marginal NBA player. Like I remember Chase Budinger had his meniscus removed and he was just like, oh wow, now you just can't play in the NBA now. That's cool. Um, but uh, with Jimmy Butler, who's an All Star, you know I think he'll go down to five percent in ability maybe maybe going forward, but he'll come back fast. The thing about him is, like, he's such a grinder. I don't think he's going to complain about much. It, it, it'll be very strange. Um, I guess I would have been okay with him doing either. Um, because, again, the goal of the season is to get the young core minutes in the playoffs. That's the goal. Now, if he's worried about that being in jeopardy and he wants to get like two more wins in here, like to shimmy those in at the very back end of the at the back two weeks, week and a half, he's back for the season. Okay. Uh, the Wolves need probably seven more wins to make the playoffs if the percentages all stay the same, which they won't, but that's what they'll need to do. I don't have strong feelings one way or another. I know Jimmy Butler is going to probably just be Jimmy Butler and get back as fast as possible. And you take that with you take that when you trade for him that he's going to do that. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense, and it sounds very familiar. I mean, that's just Jimmy Butler's <laughs> yeah, personality. And and when we talk about minutes and Jimmy Butler playing all these minutes, and we'll come back in a little bit later on and talk about Thibodeau and his uh, rotations and these sorts of things again. But I think you have to be prepared for Jimmy Butler just basically telling you I'm staying on the court I'm playing <laughs> that's just in his yeah. personality no he just he doesn't want to come out like if the game's close he wants the ball in his hands and there's a lot of times where that's actually problematic when they would benefit from more like ball movement 
in certain rotations, it, which is very strange to say. But, yeah, it's very weird. Like, you know, he'll try to go ISO That's at certain points because he wants to win that bad. You take the good and the bad with the dude, but he's a top. He's not just a top 10 player. He's probably, he's arguably like a top five player in the NBA. He's that freaking good. I mean, this, really season, this season he's an MVP candidate, so... Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Um, I said this, I'm like, so out of all the seasons of any Timberwolf has ever had, and that includes... Uh, Kevin Love's insane season, uh, his last year here, where he put up numbers that no one's seen since, like, basically, like, Kareem. Like, yeah, no, yeah, no, screw that. Uh, he's still the best Timberwolf in terms of a single-season performance since Kevin Garnett. He really is. He's that good. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think, at least amongst Bulls fans, some Bulls fans, they probably haven't appreciated that Butler has continued to improve. We've, we've obviously used to him continuously improve, but he's got even better since he's gotten to Minnesota, which is just crazy yes, to think he about. Was in, no, he was insanely better. Um, I had no idea he'd be that much better. Um, yeah, I was in college watching it. I went to Marquette when he was there, and I watched him get drafted. I'm like, yeah, this guy might be a marginal rotation player someday. Lazar Hayward was better than him in college. Uh, and yeah, now he's like a top... Five to seven player in the NBA. So, yeah, that's how that works. Just don't count this guy out ever. Under any circumstance, this guy works harder than anyone ever. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. No, I, f- I fully agree with you. And, and he wouldn't be the player he is now without that type of a, a work ethic. But what I wanted to ask you now, again, is something that I guess exists amongst Bulls Twitter and the Bulls fan base, I guess. It's, it's a common narrative that the fan base has. And that this was always going to happen, that he was going to get injured, that Tibbs was going to break Jimmy at some point, and the Wolves were going to regret this huge trade that landed them Jimmy Butler. Personally, I think that's kind of ridiculous and and arrogant for Bulls fans to actually say that. But from a Wolves fan's perspective, I'm interested to hear from you. Do you have any second-guessing of the trade at all? Do you have any regrets about it? Is this all good, even with the incident and the injury? Are you still, I guess, fine with the trade itself? Um given obviously what we're seeing with, with Jimmy Butler going down with a knee injury and seeing what we've seen from Levine, Markinen, and Dom. Let's talk short term. Yeah. Short term, even with rookie Markinen, Zach Levine with a bad knee, and Chris Dunn in on this team, which I don't know if he flourishes under Tibbs because Tibbs needs guys that um, prove, to be produ- prove to be capable of producing, which isn't fair. But that's what he needs. This team is basically fighting for an eight seed still if they don't trade for Jimmy Butler. That's the short term. The midterm would be basically the same thing where you have, you know, you're extending obviously a max con. Well, you're going to have issues with you're extending a max contract to Townsend Butler, to Townsend Wiggins. And then um, Levine would be this question point, and I don't know if they just match with something going forward from this season. I, I I don't see it. I don't see Levine ever having a season as good as this one's having for that Jimmy Butler has. I just don't. I'd love him. I'd love him to prove me wrong. That'd be so awesome if he did. That'd be awesome. But um, I just don't see it. You could argue fit, I guess, that him and Wiggins have some problems because they're both kind of high use. They're both best in high usage situations, but that's kind of it. But minutes, like 
Jimmy Butler is playing about the same number of minutes as he's played as he played under Fred Hoiberg. He just didn't happen to get hit, uh, get hurt. Uh, the big stat that people put out there are these lineup stats, and those are jarring because Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are freakishly healthy, like unbelievably healthy. I don't think either have missed a single freaking game in their entire careers. Uh, and they like, and they both been playing like the same, the same Jimmy Butler minutes through three coaches. And usually it's a four man rotation. So it omits the difference between uh, Jeff Teague and Tyus Jones. And, you know, uh, Taj Gibson's been freakishly healthy this year. It also kind of omits just how good the Wolves training staff is. And I will like, I'll, I'll stay, I'll say this. They're the best in the world. Yes, that includes the Phoenix Suns. They are have better a better training staff than the Phoenix Suns. Tibbs doesn't listen to them as much as the Phoenix Suns uh, coaches listen to those, listen to those guys. But they're that good. Um, so it's not a BS narrative that he plays them too much, but it's overblown. Just other coaches don't get shit for it. That's kind of my. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense to me, and I've got a similar view. But um, from that, from what you're sort of saying there, it sort of sounds like you're completely comfortable with the trade itself. Oh, absolutely. The idea that um, I saw, I know some person, some people that said like, and before the injury were saying the Wolves lost the trade. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But okay, that's great. And after the injury, they're like, they basically were gloating about it, and. uh yeah, I blocked about 50 people on Twitter because of that. That was fun. Uh, which, I, it's crap. Like, they still won the trade. Like, they, well, not won the trade. It just turned out to be really good for the Bulls, too. It looked, like, really lopsided at the time, and that's great that it turned out. And that's how, the only good way to actually, you know, evaluate trades is what people thought of the trade at the time, because you're just being a revisionist asshole if you don't if you don't do it that way. But yeah, like it's fine. It worked out really well. The Wolves would like this is a 14 year playoff. Uh, they missed the playoffs for like 14 years. They like basketball will die here pretty soon if we don't get back to the playoffs. This is really important. I, I tried to like wave my arm. There's a lot of hardcore Wolves fans that don't kind of seem to that don't seem to get that. Um, they're like, "Well, I've waited this long, might as well." I'm like, no, you just won't have a team at a certain point, you dumbass. Um, like, we literally lost the Lakers. Are you that dense, you it, you asshole? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, it's fine. I just want good basketball here. You know, and especially this summer with a tight uh, restrict with a tight free agency market, being good is going to be a really massive advantage to getting good free agents to sign with you because all of them are going to sign for one year because all the good ones are going to sign for one year deals way under market so they can get the new cap space underneath that like the next year. So it, it's a really freaking big deal that they play well this year. And yeah, it, it's um, like. I agree. Tibbs has a minutes problem. A lot of coaches. The thing is, a lot of coaches have minutes problems. Yeah. Uh, just, Tibbs happened to have that happen to Derek. Like it's the Derek Rose injury that really stuck with him forever. And Noah getting, you know, and then Noah getting banged up, and then Luol Deng 
he did. Uh, I will say the one legit criticism is Luol Deng getting played into the ground like he played him. That's kind of legit. Although he had injury history, uh, he had an injury history before that, though. Uh, but that said, he still just played him into the ground, just more minutes than anyone else. And then it, the optics were just awful because then he got meningitis and almost died. <laughs> it just like it was the worst PR. It was a PR disaster with that. The Bulls did not handle that well at all. That's kind of what it became yeah. with him. Does no, that make sense? It makes complete sense. So let's let's talk let's talk about Tibbs because I've got a, a lot of takes about Tibbs that I want to get off my chest. And <laughs> I do feel like at times I am on an island being a Bulls fan that still somewhat supports Tibbs and I guess uh, supports or not supports, but. I guess push, pushes back on some of the issues that are raised in terms of how he coaches his team. He, he undoubtedly has some issues in terms of the way he runs his starters, the way the units that he runs, the fact that he will have sort of four or five man, man rotations, which he doesn't really blend well. He sort of do hockey sort of lineups. There's definitely critiques of tips. Bigs is a weird thing that he doesn't figure out very well to shoot more threes. Like it's all that's legit. That's totally legit. All of those things are legit, but I, I, it still annoys me that there's people just sort of go towards this minute per game stat and just cite that as the reason why someone gets injured. Like that's what happened yesterday on Twitter when Jimmy Butler got hurt. The fact that he leads the league in minutes per game at 37.3 minutes per game. He plays this amount of minutes. Wiggins is 12th in minutes per game. Towns is 15th. He runs his starters into the ground, etc., etc. That's the narrative. And, By the way, Towns and Wiggins literally never been hurt. But exactly. okay, like like never have been hurt. Um, but it's it's just something to oh, bother. Towns and Wiggins are playing less minutes this year than they did, uh, and this year, and I believe even the year before that, than they did under Flip and Sam Mitchell. So there's that. Like if you want to talk about insane minutes, Flip Saunders played Andrew Wiggins like 40 minutes a night, and I'm not exaggerating that. Like, it's not just a Tibbs thing. Lots of coaches do this. I'm not saying, and it's not good, but not everyone's also, also not everyone's the Spurs to get everyone to buy in like that and to get perfect pieces like that. Yeah. And to, to sort of back up your point here, so Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins, they average more minutes than Carl Towns. Uh, <laughs> on, on the perimeter, yep. you've got like Paul George, you've got. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal. These guys are averaging either more minutes or pretty much at the same amount that Andrew Wiggins is. Even yep. guys like Ben Simmons and Trevor Ariza are only one minute less or averaging one minute less than Andrew yeah. Wiggins. So I guess my question or my issue is, why is it never mentioned that these guys are playing a ton of minutes? But when it comes to Carl Towns or Andrew Wiggins or Jimmy Butler, why is it a problem there? Is it just simply the stigma that Thibodeau carries, or is there something more that I'm missing here? Yes, it is. And here's the thing about Thibodeau's uh, minutes that is really unfair, is that Derrick Rose's knee injury happened during the shortened NBA season, where everyone was playing insane minutes that will never be paralleled again unless there's a labor dispute like that. That's the real kick in the ass. Um, that, if you want the reason why Derrick Rose hurt his knee that year, it's because literally he was, they were playing back to back to back games often. That like that's the real issue to me. And what's insane about this is like people are criticizing Jimmy Butler after he literally took a week off 
not to say that that would solve everything with it with his knees, but also like as if Jimmy Butler's going to go to another team, any other team, and just be like, yeah, I'm going to take it easy this time. Like, no, he's not going to do that. That's Jimmy Butler. That's just who he is. Yeah, look, I, th- I think you're exactly right, and it just, it just bothers me because it becomes this thing about. Oh, the pitchforks come out for Thibodeau. Butler's averaging 37.3 minutes per game, but people completely ignore ignore that LeBron James and Giannis are right behind there at 37 right. minutes I per mean, game. It's crazy that um, the best players in the league play all those minutes. It's crazy that you have <laughs> the best, the the most talented basketball players play the most minutes in the in the NBA. Crazy, I say. It Seriously, is. it's just it's just dumb. Like not, which isn't to say that. Coaches, by and large, should stagger their minutes better and deal with the rotations better. Uh, and Thibodeau is very stubborn about lots of things, and he often does kind of substitute that, like with Jimmy Butler kind of filling in the gaps. And so that's probably the reason for like that's probably a two or two and a half minute a game difference where he's just like, oh screw it, just have Jimmy fix that, if that makes sense. Where. You know, like, you know, he'll throw out a rotation with Jimmy playing uh, with the reserves or something like that just to shore up how bad they are on defense, something like that. And, yeah, that's probably a two-minute game difference. I I just tend to think that when injuries happen, uh, people really want a finger point, and that's just kind of how it is. The fact that more people don't make a bigger issue of Derrick Rose going down uh, and tie that to the shortened NBA season and the lockout just, and just back to back to back game, which is absolutely insane, which, you know, by the way, took Rubio's ACL too. Um, I'm surprised it didn't take more players ACLs. That That's just stupid to do. It, it just kind of speaks to more. I think a lot of people are really more comfortable, you know, personifying a problem rather than just saying it's, a systemic problem that doesn't have a face to it. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I just hate the idea of assigning blame to one factor when in likelihood well, there's absolutely. multiple things. It's it's annoying. Yeah. So, look, I wanted to get that rant off my chest because I was doing it no, online you're yesterday. Not but, like, uh, I was doing this all day. <laughs> and uh, I eventually just had to, yeah, I just eventually had to do, just go do some work or so like just something that's not related to basketball to get my mind off it. It was just, it was awful because people are just insufferable about this. It's awful. It is, and I agree with you. And I'm sure I'll catch heat from Bulls fans out there for um, from ranting yeah. or supporting about send him, supporting. Yeah, send them this way if I have blocked them. Yes, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll send them your way then. Um, but uh, look, I just wanted to get that rant off my chest, but. It's going to be an interesting, I guess, period here for the Wolves moving forward. And I guess I wanted to end this conversation with you on a little bit of a high and talk about another former Bull who, I guess, gets lost in the rotation somewhat in terms of just the general talk in the NBA. And I'm talking about Taj Gibson. Yes! Yes! (laughs) Literally, probably the, like, fourth best free agent acquisition for the Timberwolves in the history of the organization. And that is not hyperbole in any way. Yeah. Um, which cuts both ways, by the way, because just how hapless this franchise has been and also just like how freaking good he's been. He's been so good this year. Literally the most consistent player on the team, just blown away by how good he is. 
Uh, lots of people were trying to talk like because in the preseason, he was taking all these corner threes and stuff like, oh, well, if he adjusts to that, then the signing will be good. Turns out he's just turned it into normal Taj Gibson again. And he's just been absolutely worth every penny of the signing because he's just that damn good. He's and he's just one of my favorite people in the NBA and one of my favorite players to watch. I just love the dude. I love to watch that guy. Well, I mean, that's that's great to hear because Taj, I said this on my podcast last week, Taj Gibson is probably probably top three for me in terms of my favorite balls of all time. And oh, I, that was going so to, cool. He, oh, he, I love that guy. He's awesome. And that was going to be my question is, has the Minnesota fan brace embraced him in the same way that the Bulls fans did? And it sounds like that's a, a resounding yes. I mean, I have, and I'll fight them until they haven't. Like that, like <laughs> I'll I'll take that. I'll, I'll take on that burden. He's been awesome. Uh, like the reason why he has like number sixty-seven. It like just you know he went. He was PS sixty-seven at his. Uh, I think he was. He's from New York, right? Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. He was P. He went to PS sixty-seven in grade school, and he was there. He's just like, hey guys, what should my number be this year? Kids all shout out 67. He's like, well, okay, that's my number. Like, that just kind of speaks to just how just normal that, like, he's just a very down to earth, normal guy. And he's very low key in everything that he does. And he's just awesome. And it's how his game is, but it's really hard to ignore. He really, it's, I can't imagine a better locker room guy either than him. He's just absolutely fantastic to see. He, he's, what was it? I think. Do you follow uh, Matt Femright? He's a. Uh, I don't think I do. He mostly does analytics stuff, and, which was funny because uh, his like his analytics take on uh, Taj Gibson was like, "Yeah, Taj Gibson just does shit." <laughs> <laughs> he really does. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's actually exactly what he does. It's amazing. It, it it's this weird aggregate of awesomeness that just shows up, and he's just. Awesome to see play basketball. He's been, yeah, he's been an absolute joy to watch. Super consistent. Uh, I was very worried about him because he took a dip under Hoiberg and then another uh, even deeper dip under um, uh, when he was in OKC. But now he's back with Tibbs and he's just crashing boards and playing awesome. And it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it was. And it was great to see him today. 19 points, 10 rebounds, 4 offensive boards. I had just a classic Taj Gibson game against the Bulls, and it was uh, it was fun to see. But I wanted to ask you that question, like I said, because he's one of my favorite Bulls. But um, oh, he's so oh my god, I can see why he's a favorite. Oh my god, every <laughs> and all these Bulls fans when they sign him, just like be good to him, be good to him, dude. No matter what, be good to this guy. I, like because they were all worried that like the OKC stuff was like just who he was at this point, and they just missed who they missed him when he was playing for Tibbs and everything. And I get it. I, I totally get the affection towards him now. He, he's amazing. He is. And um, look, he's a, he's, a, he's a great boy. He's, he's proving to be a great wolf at the moment as well. But um, look, I appreciate you jumping on and talking this game and just talking Butler and Tibbs in general. It was good for me. It was therapeutic for me to get those rants <laughs> off. Yeah. Hopefully, you are, it was therapeutic for you as well. But um, <laughs> I'm sure... I'm sure it's a, a good future up ahead here for the Wolves and hopefully with Jimmy Butler returning, maybe this season, hopefully he can get back and that knee is okay for a playoff push if he does elect to take the, uh, the I guess, the option there of re- not necessarily repairing it but snipping the meniscus. So hopefully if he hey, does return, it's all good. You can't have a torn meniscus if you don't have a meniscus. you got to think about that. 
That is true. That is true. <laughs> but uh, tell everyone where they can follow you online and your podcast as well. Uh, my, uh, Patrick underscore Fenlon, uh, F-E-N-E-L-O-N. Our podcast is The Land of 10,000 Takes with me and Maggie Schultz. Uh, yeah, where we talk about NBA nonsense. I was going to edit that this week, and then until this win today, I was just too discouraged to even edit that and put that out. Uh, we'll have a new episode out tomorrow, on that, which will be Sunday. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for uh, letting me do that. This has been very much. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you for coming on, and I definitely suggest uh, listening into the land of the ten thousand takes. I was going to say it was a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, but every time I've listened to it, it's just been like a general NBA show as well. But uh, it's been it, it's also just just general bullshit. Like this, <laughs> there was no NBA news this week where we just talk about like. Like I'll give you a preview on this week where like we talked about the map the Dallas Maverick sexual harassment suit and we talked about guns in the NBA and Maggie and I were both half in the bag and there was this guy from Ireland next to us at the bar and we literally just interviewed him for the rest of it. And then and then the reporter died. And so yeah, that's I've all so it's gonna be a bitch to edit, but um it's it, it could be a good podcast if I remember it right. Uh, it also might be terrible. So anyways, but listen anyways, or just just click on it. That's all I care about, actually. Yeah, you've definitely, <laughs> you've definitely plugged it well there. <laughs> but, uh, I appreciate you coming on. We'll do it again sometime. Take care, man. So thank you to Patrick there for jumping onto the show today and appreciate you guys listening into this episode today. So unfortunately, some bad news with Jimmy Butler. And like I said, I'm sure there are a lot of Bulls fans out there that didn't want to see Butler go down with, with that injury. So hopefully you enjoyed this podcast from a Bulls perspective, but also from a Minnesota Timberwolves viewpoint as well. So hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back again next week to wrap up next week's lot of games, as well as all the other news surrounding the Chicago Bulls moving forward. I'll catch you then. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.